We will go to Nashville by, Nashville by way of Orlando, Florida. Go figure, Cherie and I are not complaining. Anyway, we hope to get there eventually. Uh, we do appreciate your prayers. It is a wonderful occasion, but I'll be very honest, as much as I enjoy it, it is the most exhausting week of my year. It helps me to understand what a day in the life of Jesus must have been, because I will tell you, from the time I wake up to the time that I go to bed, I'm engaged with other people many of whom want to pray and talk about God's Word and are dealing with difficulties in their ministry, things like that. It is a great occasion, but your prayers would definitely be appreciated for all of us. And I know that you'll do just that. Thank you. I smile because nowadays you retire and go to Granbury. You retire and go to Granbury. Uh, now, I've lived in the Metroplex, and I guess I get it, but I don't get it. You know, the sad part is it may be as close to heaven as some people get. Granberry. How far short that would be. Sardis had it all. Sardis was way better than Granberry ever thought of being. It had a glorious past. Of all the seven churches of Asia, the other six churches didn't come even close to being located in an area anything as great and illustrious as Sardis was. They had a glorious past. And many of you have heard of the old city called Troy. You find that Sardis had a history that was second only to Troy in that part of the world. It was some kind of history that they had. And when you talk about Sardis as a city, way better than Granberry, y'all, way better. They had a perfect location with a magnificent climate, a wonderful economy... And it was a cultural mecca of the area. It would be the type of place that people were just dying to live in, to move to. That's Sardis. And yet when the great physician looks at the church at Sardis, he pronounces them D-O-A. Dead on arrival. The great coroner, Jesus, says you have a name that lives, but you are dead. One would think being a member of Sardis Church of Christ, Adam, would be the kind of place that preachers would line up for a mile to be able to preach for. I believe that that would probably have been true. But it is the Lord's assessment of things and not the reputation a church may have that really matters. And that is an important principle to remember. 
in thinking about any church, it's the Lord's assessment that ultimately matters, not merely its reputation or its past. So as we think about that, we can apply things even more on an individual basis. It is not so much what you think or someone else may think about me as a Christian. It is what the assessment of our good Lord is concerning each and every one of us. And to please Him ought to be what we want to do most of all. Let's look at Revelation 3, 1 through 6. Now, if this morning's lesson, the church of the open door, the church at Philadelphia, the passage that follows, chapter 3, verses 7 through 13, was really hopeful, and I hope that it was. It should have been a really encouraging and optimistic lesson. Tonight's lesson can be called the church of the living dead. The church of the living dead. Because really, that is what was true of the church at Sardis. What I want to do is focus on five areas in looking at Revelation 3, 1 through 6 with you. Not hard. Five areas. First of all, see the description of Jesus in the text. See the description of Jesus in the text. Secondly, see the accusation of Jesus concerning the church in this text. Third, see the warning of Jesus regarding the church in this text. That's especially verses 2 and 3. Keep looking. See the vision of Jesus in this passage. And it's something that we should take hope in. See the vision of Jesus in this passage. And then finally, see the promise of Jesus in this passage. Got it? I'll repeat each of those main areas to focus on from this passage as we study together. You got it? Let's focus on the first factor. What is it about? See the description of Jesus in this passage. See the description of Christ. It is said that He has the Word... He is the Word, John 1, 1 through 18, and that His words are coming from one who has the seven spirits. Who has the seven spirits and the seven stars. This is a really brief description of Jesus, but my, how much it says about Him. The one who has the Word is the Word, is the message. If you remember what I said, and I appreciated so much James's prayer, showing that he had listened to what I was preaching about this morning. Thanks, James. I do appreciate that, man. Now, as we look at this, what was the one word that I talked about for Sardis? Do you remember? Anybody stars in your crown, no pun intended, if you get it. 
The word to remember was life. Life. L-I-F-E. It is the Holy Spirit who gives life. John 6, 63. Spiritual life. To be born of water and the Spirit. John 3, 3 through 7. When you look at the reference to the seven spirits, I believe that it's a reference to the Holy Spirit, and I'll tell you why. Revelation 1, 4 and 5 speaks of the Father, the one who is and was and is to come, speaks of the seven spirits, and then verse 5 speaks of Jesus the faithful witness, and gives a very vivid description of Jesus our Lord. In other words, you have a reference to the Trinity in Revelation 1, verses 4 through 7. A reference to the Godhead. And so, 7 is a number that to many people in the early church was symbolic of perfection or completeness. The seven-fold spirit. God's Holy Spirit. The word spirit is never used in the book of Revelation concerning angels. A good thing to keep in mind. You've got this sevenfold spirit, but take a minute and look at Revelation 4 verse 6. Revelation 4 verse 6. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are the four living creatures. I'll take it back, it's going to be five, I do believe, yes. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. The light of the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus is light, God is light, the Spirit we can see is light. And then you have reference made in chapter 5. This time it is verse 6. Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth. You've got reference made to the Father in the throne, the Lamb, Jesus, the seven spirits. Apparently a reference to the Holy Spirit. Here is what's important. Where the Spirit is, there is life. Where the Spirit is not, there is death. Think about the human spirit in James 2, 14 through 26. As the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith, if it has not works, is dead. No Holy Spirit really being appreciated and heeded. No life in the church. Now that brings me to the next statement. The statement about the seven stars 
Let the Bible, especially Revelation, comment on itself. Revelation 1.20, the seven stars are the seven messengers of the churches. What do the messengers give? These messengers were to give the message of the Lord, weren't they? Quite simply. A church that does not value the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life and does not value the message of God is a church that's dead. Regardless of its glorious past and however much it may be flourishing because of the town that they're in. That is how Jesus describes himself. The word, his words. He goes on to talk about the seven spirits and the seven stars. That brings me to another area upon which to focus. See the Lord's accusation. Look at verse 1 here, and Carl read it for us. You have a name that lives. You have a reputation. You have a reputation that lives. But you are D-E-A-D. That is not what the world would have looked at and seen looking at the church at Sardis. That is not how the church at Sardis evidently felt about itself. There are things that are not found in this letter that characterize some of the other letters. Look at this, and it seems like here is a church that would have everything going for it in a town like Sardis. They're not a people with little power like the church at Philadelphia. They've got a lot going for them. You would think in a town like Sardis. And the church undoubtedly must have had a glorious past, something that they could really look back on and talk about. The great days that they'd had as the people of God at Sardis. Now notice what is not said. Is there any mention of outside persecution for the church at Sardis? There's only six verses. You ought to be able to see it pretty fast. Daryl, I see you're looking it up. You see any mention of outside persecution? Not like at Philadelphia where you had the synagogue of Satan and people who said that they were Jews but were not, who made life rough on the Christians in Philadelphia. No mention of outside persecution. Look at the passage again. Do you see any reference at all made to false teaching within? Brother Bill, you see that? Brother Bill Powers? No, you're right. It's not there. It's mentioned in a number of the letters, but not this one. Do you see any reference made to immorality in the church? To immorality in the church. It's not there. And so the Lord does not refer to outside suffering being brought on the church because of persecution. 
He doesn't reveal that internally false teaching and immorality were causing the problem. What happened is this. You had a church of wax. You had a church of wax. Have you ever seen some of those wax figures that look so real? Only to find out, to discover, there's nothing inside. Not really. They're dead. But they look so real. You have a congregation consisting largely of people who are a shell of wax with the Spirit and the Word not being the vibrant force that gives them their life. That's serious. That is serious. And although this particular letter is brief, the Lord is very devastating in this accusation. You have a name that lives, a reputation with people, but you are dead. Now that brings me on to a warning. Notice this in verses 2 and 3 of Revelation 3. And it consists of five short commands. Five short commands. It's not hard to see this. See the Lord's warning. Warning number one of the five. Wake up! Wake up! Have you ever been really sound asleep and when you woke up it took you a while to get your bearings? I suspect all of us have. He is telling them that they are in a spiritual stupor and are aloof to the reality of their actual condition. To people, the, you may look fine. You may have the appearance of being fine. But there is a spiritual cancer eating away at you that's sucking the life right out of you. That's what Jesus has said. Wake up! It's as if they are not even aware. They're unaware that really they're dead inside. Is that possible? It is. When the Spirit who gives life spiritually and the Word of God that is life are not really loved and applied. Next, notice what is said. When you look at Revelation chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, strengthen what remains and is about to die. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. That's the second of the five warnings. Think of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 3. Plant water and let God give the increase. Strengthen the things that remain. Plant and water. What's remaining? 
While he says you're dead, there are at least some things that show just a little life in this church. Strengthen those things that remain. That's what the Lord says. Number three, remember what you have received and heard. Love this one. Remember what you've received and heard. You are a congregation that kind of likes to emphasize the past and all the things that have happened for good through the years. Think about those things. Hear, listen, apply. It seems to me that hungering and thirsting after righteousness, Matthew 5 and verse 6, was not nearly as emphasized by the church at Sardis at this point in time as it had been. There was a time when they, with bated breath, wanted to hear the Spirit-given message of Jesus. When men would preach the Word. But you know what? Complacency had set in. Coasting had set in. Spiritual coasting. And what the Lord is talking about is this. We're not talking about right now what you did for me a decade ago. What about right now? You are inoffensive, innocuous, and failing to show the life that's to be found in me. Man, those words must have stung deeply to the readers of this book. Number four, he says, keep it. (laughs) Keep it. Keep it what you ought to remember that you received and heard. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, lest happily you have believed in vain. Keep it. Hold on to it. Don't let go because God's Word is spirit and life. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. John six sixty eight. John six sixty three. Number 5, He tells the church to repent. He tells the church to repent, to turn, to change the direction out of a heart that has been broken by God's will. Notice this, number four. I'm glad that this is in this letter. Revelation chapter 3 verse 4 See the Lord's perfect vision. See the Lord's perfect vision. This is the fourth truth. Not only is the Lord the great physician, not only is the Lord the chief coroner, the Lord is the ultimate eye surgeon and eye specialist. And notice what he sees. He sees a few, a few, even at Sardis. Hey, you think you'd like to be a member of Sardis Church of Christ? Here am I. I'd like to be a member there. Anybody? It's 
not quite like Philadelphia or Smyrna, is it? But even at Sardis, there were a few who had not defiled their garments. There are some who had not made simple compromises with the city, the area, the world. There's a few. They'd not soiled their garments. And notice what Jesus says. They will walk with me in white. Because they are worthy. They will walk with me in white. Because they are worthy. Number five. I'll try to make this quick because in many ways this is a negative type of letter from Jesus. But there's still hope that the few can influence the many. And when you get to number five, see the Lord's promise. Verses five and six. He says... To the one who conquers or overcomes, a characteristic of all seven letters, you have a promise to those who overcome. Those that overcome, according to this passage, verses 5 and 6, will wear white garments. And notice what the Lord says very simply. I will never blot their name out of the book of life. And then he says... I will confess them before my Father and His angels. You know, the promise that was made to the church at Philadelphia seems so much grander. But I'm going to tell you what. If God promised you that He would not blot your name out of the book of life, And that he would acknowledge and confess you before the Father of heaven and all the angels. Wouldn't that be enough? That should be what we desire. Now as we close, some lessons to learn from the letter to the church at Sardis in Revelation 3, 1 through 6. Some lessons to learn. Lesson number one. Remember this, a church's reputation means nothing. God's assessment means everything. It's nice to be well thought of, but we can put so much emphasis on our reputation that we don't put enough on the godly character that must have been lacking at Sardis. And what he thinks is what matters. Next. I wonder how many churches the Lord would say today are dead. You know, you look at the odds. One out of seven, at least in this series of letters, was called dead by Jesus. There's a lot of ways a church can die. Can be dead. Some are dead because of false teaching. Some are dead because all they do is think about the past and not enough about the present. Some die because of food poisoning. 
Some die because of suicide. God help us to be churches that find our life in Christ and His Spirit and in the precious Word of God. Here's a second lesson to learn. A dying church needs to take drastic action before it's too late. A dying church needs to take drastic action. You look at Revelation 3, 2, and 3, and he's not encouraging them to delay. He's encouraging them to do this now. Third, this lesson to learn. Even dead churches may have a few that have not defiled their garments. It's not uncommon to talk about churches that once walked in the way of Jesus, but maybe they've left the truth. They've left the Lord's ways. Might I suggest that there is the possibility, even then, based on our study tonight, that the worst of churches can have a few that have not defiled their garments. And maybe we need to be careful to think a little bit more like that. Lest we write entire groups off wholesale. Next. There are a number of parallels between this letter to Sardis and the first of the seven letters, the letter to the church at Ephesus. It's worth looking at the two sometime really closely and comparing them. When you look at Ephesus, it was a church without love. And when you look at the church at Sardis, it is a church without life. When a church leaves its first love, it is only a matter of time that they lose life and they shrivel and die. Lastly, here's an interesting lesson. And think of John as the penman of this book representing his Lord and Savior, an older man now, he must be. This letter sounds more like the words of Jesus from the gospel accounts than the other six. I will come as a thief. Other expressions in this letter sound a great deal like Jesus when he walked this earth. Wake up. Why are you asleep? Be alert. Be ready. You see in this very brief letter phrases that sound just like Jesus. And John, by inspiration of the Spirit, recalls the word of Christ. 
May we recall the word of Jesus given by the Holy Spirit all the days of our life so that we might live and know abundant life. Please pray with me and then we'll conclude. God, thank you for this letter which alarms us, which causes us as a congregation not to rest on our laurels or to just live in the past, but to think about the present and have a vision for the future, all to your name's honor and glory. Thank you for what this passage teaches us about the few, maybe even in the worst of situations that we can find in any church that have not defiled their garments. Jesus considers them people who are worthy and who will be with Him forever. Help us to learn and to be humble. God, we pray that when Jesus looks at us as a church or when He looks at us as individuals, He will not say, you have a name that lives, but you're dead. We pray these things to your name's honor and glory. Help us to humbly serve you till our last breath here in this world. And then may we serve you with joy forevermore in glory. In Christ we pray, amen. If you're not a Christian, you can come to Him tonight through faith and repentance and baptism and be added to the precious church of Christ, the body of Christ. Through hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, notice that Jesus will confess those who are faithful to Him before His Father and the angels of heaven. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Have those sins washed away. And live in accordance with Christ's teaching. Let us stand and sing.